Welcome to the Multi-Dads. This is John. So Nancy Pelosi pulled the fast one. First of all, I'm not sure how old she is. She's in the late 80s, if not 80, I mean late 70s, if not 80, right on the dot. She went ahead and she snuck into Ukraine. She had that BDE that uh, she went in there, something I'd never see Kevin McCarthy do. I don't think I'd see Donald Trump do. What was your reaction when you found out that Nancy Pelosi just went ahead like the true like the true uh, player she is and went to Ukraine? Yeah, you know, it, it was a total boss move because I don't know if you've noticed this, John, but Zelensky has what I appear to be a top-notch video crew with him. They're creating these kind of promo videos and and I guess you could call them propaganda videos, although they're not necessarily propaganda. But his crew has been doing a good job of creating these promo materials to kind of rile people up and get people going. And so the first image I see is like, I, I heard reports about her maybe going, but the first image I see is like her and, and Zelensky just walking to like the town square. They shake their hands and it just, it was, it was just total boss. And she's obviously um, uh, known here, but I wonder how known she is. Uh, she's pretty known globally, I would assume, right? She was the face of kind of the Democratic Party while while Trump was president for a little bit there. So it was awesome. I, I'm I'm not surprised that it, it was. We talked about it a little bit before, and you can go into it a little bit more. But this this is a moment for the country to unite. But the Republicans have no uh, no ability or no desire to unite. Right? They're rooting for Putin, uh, if you will. And um, that's unfortunate side of this, but it was it was good for us to kind of go and show. Well, I think that here's here's where I think it's really important. And you talked about the country uniting. Um, the thing that disappointed me, and this is not on Pelosi, this is not on Biden, this is completely on the Republicans. Um, in a previous presidency, a previous time, uh, that would have been a bipartisan trip. It would have been Pelosi and McCarthy and some high ranking Republicans. And trust me, when they do international diplomacy, when they do these codels, they don't try to do them um, under the guise of any kind of partisanship. So what you have there, and this is completely under Republicans, and I'm, and I'm not talking about any inside information, I'm just talking about what I've seen historically. And likewise, if you've noticed, I think there were one or two Senate trips, maybe not to Ukraine, but to other places, where it was a bipartisan coalition of folks. So. We are actually in a situation now where, you know, there's always been a potential of a World War Three. you know, a major country's under attack. And it's been very important for symbolically to be leaders from across the world, global leaders going to Ukraine. And Kevin McCarthy and the Republicans couldn't be bothered. Again, I'm not working on inside information. I'm just telling you, if you're reading the tea leaves, if you're watching what's going on, and if you know history in a previous uh, time, that would have been a bipartisan trip. And that that's the only thing that sours it for me. Although, you know, you know, with this being an election year, with this being a midterm, that would have been a very important message that, you know what, despite our differences at home, as a country, we're united. And that was really disappointing. Yeah, no, I, I couldn't agree with you more. It's, it's disappointing not because I particularly want a Republican there. It's disappointing because the, the, the country, the Republicans have gone so far extreme that they can't even take a moment to come together for anything, for anything. They're voting against common sense legislation at home. They're voting against common sense things across the board. And that's the really unfortunate part. There is no saving this Republican Party, right? Biden talks about it all the time. This isn't your father's Republican Party. It might be your father's Republican Party, just, just more openly kind of racist and bigoted than it used to be. But these are the same people who incited an insurrection and acted like nothing happened. These are the same people who are threatening to impeach Biden the first day he's inaugurated. Like these are, these are, as Hillary called them, deplorables. Hillary was right this entire time. And here we are five, six years later, and none of this surprises us. I, I don't, I don't know how to fix it. And we'll talk about the correspondence dinner yesterday and all the shots that were kind of taken, but um, I don't know if it's fixable other than we have to start treating the Republican party as a fringe kind of conspiracy theory party. Cause that's what the leadership is. Right. And, and I'm, I'm bringing it back to the whole issue of, you know, with Ukraine. I think what people don't realize, this Pelosi trip was bigger than when Blinken and Austin went. Because for one reason, there's, there's, there's a few things to consider. She's second in the line of succession. 
it goes vice it goes president vice president speaker of the house secondly remember she's the speaker of the house and she's the leader of our legislative body when you think about parliament when you think about other countries um whether it's uh england or, or canada you realize that the prime no pelosi's a lot more like the prime minister of these other countries we have a president and a vice president uh, but in our other countries it's the person who occupies Pelosi's spot who would be the actual head of state. So this is a really, and especially in Europe where they kind of get parliamentary type, type government, this is a big deal. This is a huge deal that someone of that caliber, there's only two other people that could outrank her, and that's uh, Vice President Harris and President Biden. And like I say, in some countries that don't follow the presidential model, uh, the parliamentary model, uh, the person who occupies Pelosi's seat would be the head of state. So this was a really significant trip. And I think that sent a very big message, not only to Ukraine, but to the rest of the world and Russia in particular. Yeah, no, I couldn't agree more. Not only is she kind of third in line there, but she she's, I think, more recognizable than Blinken. And Austin. I don't think anybody who doesn't pay attention to politics really knows what they look like. They might know the names, but they don't necessarily know what they look like. So she's definitely more recognizable. She was the, again, she was the face. <clears throat> Remember when Trump was president, John, the the global leadership was saying, America's not on the global stage. We're, like, we're not necessarily feel welcome. And it was Pelosi who was kind of trying to kind of wrangle those relationships in, in the meantime while Trump was trying to damage them. Not only that, but we've heard talks that Biden and Kamala were trying to necessarily go to Ukraine and, and trying to make that happen. I don't know if um, Kamala getting COVID delayed that or kind of messed that up at all, but uh, it, Pelosi is a, is part of our leadership group. And the fact that she was there is, is a big move. And, and uh, honestly, John, you're a little, a little older than me, but I grew up reading these, not that you were livid or anything during World War II, but when I grew up listening to the teachers talk about history books and seeing these summits and Reagan and Russia and all these different summits across the globe, this feels on that stage, right? Like in 15, 20 years, this might be something that people read about and, and it feels kind of cool to live through, although uh, the circumstances aren't great. Yeah, um, it's it, it's it's uh, it's very similar to that. I will tell you, I think when it comes to Biden in particular, but maybe even Kamala, I think the biggest issue is um, safety and security. But the, and part of the reason why safety and security is an issue too is um, Pelosi tra- probably has a traveling situation where she can sneak into a country. Now, granted, during war times, we've actually had Obama and Bush. I think maybe Trump maybe even snuck into you know foreign lands that we were at war. But don't forget, we were at war in those countries. Um, we're not at war in Ukraine. So that normal uh, escort of military and everything else, I'm not sure how it sneaks into the country. And you notice what they don't tell us is uh, Blinken, Austin, Pelosi and group, um, we don't know if they're flying directly into uh, Kiev, if they're sneaking in, or if they're underground tunnels, and we'll probably never know because they don't want to. They don't want to let people or other countries know how exactly we snuck our folks in there, and uh, it, it was it was fascinating. But I mean, one of the things, and I know on here we've been focusing a little bit more on domestic stuff, and you know it's kind of hard, really, in many ways, to keep when there's nothing really new developments. It's really hard to keep interest in a situation in Ukraine, and I know, and I know Zelensky is concerned about that. But you know, and that's the other reason for Pelosi to go is, wow, you sort of forgot you forgot about Ukraine. You forgot about Ukraine. Oh shit, uh, Speaker Pelosi's in Ukraine. Guess what? You're paying attention to Ukraine again. Yeah, you you make an interesting point about sneaking in because, and I'm gonna put my conspiracy hat on a little bit here, but. Remember, the Republicans are back-channeling to Russia, right? We know Tucker talks to Russia. We know Trump does. We know, uh, I think it's Ron Johnson in Wisconsin who did. Like, these people have connections to Russians. And they're also on certain committees and leadership boards here. And I just just wonder if Biden and Kamala were going, if that would leak more so than Pelosi kind of sneaking in. So I think you bring up a good point. Not that... 
not that I'm thinking Republicans would sanction or try to get something happen to Biden or Kamala, but I just think, um, I just think it was is one of those things where none of us really knew about it, and she popped up, and there's images already. And growing up, I always learned that a lot of people would rec- that's, that might have not even happened live. That might have happened 12, 15 hours ago, and they're just releasing it now. Maybe Pelosi went in and went back out before they start releasing images. So that's part of the kind of counter intel that goes on as well. Yeah, well, one last piece before I move on to is the other reason for Biden not to go is um, Ukraine's engaged in a war. If Biden were to go, they would probably have to... Um, Re, you know, reassign some of their troops, some of the people protecting their country to protect Biden. It's a distraction. You know, they always talk about when there's a hurricane or something bad that you really don't want the president to go in immediately because of all of the resources that would need, be needed to protect him and everything else. I would assume that as much as Ukraine would love the symbolism of having him, that what they would have to do what they the, the arrangements they would have to make as relates to their very overtaxed and stressed military and security forces that would be unfair to the people of Ukraine as well. So I think that's one more you know one more thing you have to consider. But you know, so uh, back on the home front, it's been a busy week. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, it's been a good Republicans in disarray week, if you ask me. Uh, I don't know where we go. You know, Kevin McCarthy tapes. Are are still just blowing up. Um, he's having a week. Uh, did we? I'm not sure. Did we even have the McCarthy tapes on the on the last pod? I'm not sure if there was if they'd even come out. There's been so many that have dropped. Was, I don't I, know. I think it was the first one, but not the rest of them. Yeah. Um. So it, it's where would you like to start on the whole Republican front? Let me let me throw it to you. Where would you like to start on the whole Republican front? What I what I put on show prep was Republicans are just having another banner week. It just seems like it just seems like they keep continuing to top themselves, right? So maybe we just generally kind of blanket the Republican disarray. We have McCarthy tapes, we have the infighting between Bober and MTG, we have our your boy Radisson, <laughs> who's just continues to get railroaded by Republicans behind the scenes. There's all that stuff. So what's your kind of take on the fact that, well, here's my take, and then you could kind of follow up. <clears throat> my take is this. There's a lot of optimism. If you talk to journalists who are serious about their jobs, I'm not talking about like Ducey or anybody like that. Like if you take like historic journalists who, who kind of follow these things, this there's optimism that gives me optimism. Even if we lose in 2022, even if we lose in 2024, to be honest, the optimism for me is, this is unsustainable on the Republican part. What McCarthy is going through is unsustainable. What MCG and Bobart are unsustainable. Um, Madison Cawthorn, we've seen Democrats aren't even taking him down. Republicans are taking him down because what he's doing is unsustainable. And I think the old guard of the party, McConnell, Graham, all these people are leaning on these kind of young Republicans to kind of drive voters out. But they know it's bad for the brand. And we've seen McCarthy kind of sit down and talk to these people. They know it's unsustainable as well. So my optimism lies in this. They're blowing their party up and they're not going to stop until it's all gone. And we might lose in 2024 and we might lose in 2022. But long term, I believe that this will this will fly off the tracks as fast as they're going. So that's my kind of take on everything. Well, one of the things, and I, and I, because I think it's a larger discussion too, going back to one of, one of the things I've been consistently painting on the media is if the Democrats had a, a, um, a situation comparable to what the Republicans have, all the different fires, the fighting between Boebert and, and MTG, the Madison, Madison Cawthorn stuff, the text messages and, and, and from Meadows, the voicemails, or the, I'm sorry, the recordings of McCarthy. Um, we'd cancel twenty. We'd cancel November and just hand the Republicans the the speakership. And I sort of think that this comes down to framing. Um, you know, we keep hearing how this is still going to be a bad year for Dems, and I think when you look at history, you know, history, and when you look at the way that the maps uh, are going to be drawn, although it's fifty fifty, we think about all the stuff. Yeah, we've got our work cut out for us, and we could very we could very well lose 
but I think it's got to be framed like we could very well lose. And the Republicans, in my mind, are doing everything in their power to give it back to us, for us to keep in charge. But I also feel that the liabilities, the problems, the, the icebergs that the Republicans are facing are not being goosed by the media. And they're not saying, wow, look at all this going on. There's One wonders, how would the Republicans ever recapture the House if this is going on? And I do think that, you know, as Democrats, we have to bust our asses. We have to do everything we can to win. But I think to the extent that the media and those who frame the story and everything play a role in the outcome, I'm just, you know, I see all that's going on and it's just frustrating that um, we are still at risk of losing the House. Again, history, the things within our Democrats' control that we're responsible for, that we can do better, I'm not going to argue with that. But when it comes to the people who frame the story, shape the story, extend the narratives, advance the narratives, um, what are they doing? Are they, are they being honest about this? It's kind of like they love reporting on the controversy, but you notice that they're not really going ahead and talking about the implications, right? If the Democrats have all of this stuff going on, they would be focusing on the implications of what this all means. And that infuriates the hell out of me. Yeah, it's interesting. And we'll talk about it in a, little, a little bit. But Trevor Noah at the Correspondence Center had a very uh, poignant kind of speech at the end of his jokes there. I don't know if you saw that. He basically said, with all the backfire, that with what well, Russia's doing to journalists, Imagine if Russia journalists had the power that the American journalists have, would they still use it the same way? And what I think people got on was Trevor was saying, you guys are wasting your voice. You guys are wasting your ability to talk freely on stupid stuff. Hunter Biden's laptop, um, Dems in disarray storylines are, are useless. You're not actually framing it properly. I think we need more stories about the Republican Party is over. It's a conspiracy theory party. It's led by QAnon. It's conspiracy theories and and um, people who believe in Jewish space lasers and all this other stuff. That's what the Republican Party is being led by. The the two faces of the Republican Party that are probably most known to average Americans, um, not Republicans, um, is probably MTG and and Matt Gates. To be honest, right? No, McConnell's more behind the scenes. He, he does, I mean, we know him, but he's not necessarily recognizable. Matt Gates is under uh, investigation for alleged child trafficking and, and and sex charges, and then MTG is a conspiracy theories. That that's who the Republican Party is, and I'm I'm sick of journalists trying to make it a horse race. Like it's just not the same, and it's just not the same, and we need more stories leading up to 2022 on the brink of democracy might be over if we lose this election. Democracy might be over if we lose 2022. Now, people might say you use that in 2020. But as Barack Obama says, democracy isn't a one-time thing. You don't get it and it's over. You have to continue to work at it, continue to go forward. So as far as I'm concerned, that should be the message almost every time, you know? Right. Well, and and I think when you think about uh, well, they use a message in 2020. Let me just tell you something. Sometimes I tell my students. Um, the phrase, this is the most important election of your lifetime, is something that people need to realize is here to stay. And it's not just, um, you know, it's, it's not just hyperbole. Um, when you think, regardless of whether you're Republican or Democrat, what you want, the future of the country, the future of your state, the future of your city, the future of your county is always going to be impacted by whom you elect. And when you're talking about what what has been done, if you hope to protect that, you need to reelect the people. When you're when you're talking about what needs to be done, you need to elect the people who will do what needs to be done. When you think about the threats and everything that's facing or the opportunity, it's all going to be driven by who you elect. And anything that you do, and again, I notice I said it's not just federal, it's the state, it's the local. If you think about, you know, in Illinois, we actually had a governor before Pritzker who would not pass budgets. We went three or four years without a budget. Students at Columbia, where I teach, Columbia College, not Columbia University, but Columbia College, uh, were losing their MAP grants. 
and that was and, and because Ronner was not supporting budgets. And we elected JB, and JB has made some great strides. He's done some great things. If we don't reelect him, there's going to be people who undo what he did. When you think about what's going on at the federal level, when you think about what's going on at the state level, when you think about what's going on in the city, that's all the case. So I don't ever want someone to say, when I say this is the most important election of your lifetime, to say, well, you said that last time. Every election is the most important of a lifetime because the issues change, right? The things that people really care about, the things that people really want, they change. But there's always going to be three or four defining issues on any election that if you don't elect the right people, and when I say right, I'm talking about the right people. If I'm a Republican I, and I have a different agenda than the Democrats, I still need to elect the right people, right? If, you don't, if your side doesn't elect what it thinks or who it thinks are the right people, you stand the risk of blowing what you gained or, or, or not doing what you hope to achieve in the next session. And I think that's something that's really important. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And and uh, here's and I've never talked about you uh, talked to to you about this, but I have a lot of friends who don't particularly care or vote. Uh, we grew up in marginalized neighborhoods, and we felt like it never really impacted us. As I've gotten older and gotten smarter and wiser, <clears throat> I realize it all impacts us. Right? The two pitches I make to people to vote and care is here are the two pitches I make. The first pitch is you. The, the government is supposed to be by the people for the people. And it's it's uh, turned not necessarily against that, but it's turned into corporations have voices now and the mo- big money and super PACs and all this stuff. If, if we understood the power we have as people, if we just showed up every time and voted and participated in school board elections and all this other stuff, we would, we would be able to be in control of the country more when you check out, when you check out and you don't participate and you don't pay attention, um, your life is impacted and you don't even know it. And so if we just show up, we just have to show up every single time and that'll impact our lives more than anything. I tell people all the time, if you go to the gym once, you might have a good day. You're not going to continue to lose weight for years to come. Don't take health advice from me, certainly, but in order to truly sustain a weight loss or a healthy lifestyle, you have to show up every day in some sort of some sort of fashion, right? If you take a week off, if you take Christmas off, that's cool. You got to come back. You got to show up. So that's the first pitch I make. The second pitch I make is there's people voting that are voting for things that are going to hurt your life. So there's people out there who are voting for people that are going to take rights away. They're going to take healthcare away. They're going to take, like you said, Pell Grants and MAP Grants and all these other things. So if there's somebody out there for voting for against your life, then you have to be the vote that cancels that out. And there's more of us than them. So when you check out and you don't pay attention, their votes matter more than yours, right? It, it might seem like your vote doesn't matter, but if we just all showed up, then we'd, we'd really be overpowerful, right? So that's my two pitches. And I think that's the pitch that Democrats have to make is they're coming. They're, they came for trans people. John, under Trump, the whole gay, don't say gay thing, that stuff wasn't a thing. Trump famously did not care. He d- did not care about the issue. But then they started to realize the Republican voters really cared, or at least the fringe Republican voters really cared. And this is not coincidence, right? They started going after trans people. They started going after gay people. Now they're kind of going after women with abortions and everything like that. So what's left, right? They're going to go after Muslim bans again and immigration. And they're coming. So if, if you're going to sit there and take it, then you have nobody to blame but yourself in that matter. And, and, and that's the kind of pitch that I would make as Democrats. Well, here's, here's where it gets really interesting. And um, this week, Lawrence O'Donnell actually appeared on Joy Reid's show. Uh, it was in the opening. He talked about the whole issue of student loans. And so I think it was something along the lines of Joy brought up, well, what do young people have to vote for without student loans? And Lawrence pushed back on that. Lawrence, Lawrence pointed out that this whole idiocy of uh, I'm not getting what I want on my student loans. My student loans haven't, perf- haven't been forgiven. I'm not voting. The first thing he said, he goes, with the Democrats, you at least have a chance of getting your student loans repealed, and there's going to be some type of address. You're, whatever you think you're not getting from the Democrats, you're going to get the exact opposite from the Republicans. Not only are you going to uh, have to pay back your student loans, there's not going to be anything there. And, you know, he also pointed out the fact that 
for years, the Republican voters um, have been wanting Roe versus Wade overturned. Right now, Roe versus Wade being overturned through the Supreme Court is very close. Do you realize how many elections they voted in and they wanted it and they kept picking away and picking away, probably going back to 74, you know, 73, 74, when Roe versus Wade was just introduced? They are now close to getting that. If at any given time they've said, oh, well, Roe versus Wade has not been overturned, we're going to go home, we're going to take our ball, we're not going to support everything. They now have the Supreme Court. They have a 6-3 margin in the Supreme Court. That's because even though Roe versus Wade did not get overturned, they kept voting and they kept voting and they kept voting and they voted and 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 it, the, they're fighting for it. And you know, one of the things that I've always said, and it goes back to Obama, is when people feel that the country hasn't gone as far left as they would like and to do things that they would really like. Do you know how much further left the country would be if when Obama won in two thousand and eight? And he delivered the Affordable Care Act. If if progressives and liberals had said, thank you, Obama, it's not all we want, but thank you. And they showed up in 2010. Do you realize, and 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 we didn't lose the House and didn't lose the Senate, and then whatever we accomplished then, do you realize that if we showed up every election, Democrats, do you realize how far left the country would, would be right now? Do you realize that we probably would not have had four years of Trump? We would have probably had Hillary Clinton. And 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 it would have you would have had maybe sixteen years, sixteen straight years of Democratic presidents, possibly combined with whatever happens in the House and Senate. So you, to your point, you have to continue to go to the gym. You have to continue to vote. And when people are upset about how we are not as far left as they would like, what have they done to keep us as far left as they would like? Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. I'll take your two thousand ten example and push it further. Barack has said privately that the the biggest part of his legacy was Hillary winning because to continue everything that he's done. I talked to people and Elon Musk, we'll get into Elon Musk in a second, but Elon Musk this week said, I famously supported Obama and then the country just went super far left. Like people like and love Obama famously, right? And people I know who voted for Obama didn't show up in 2016, 2020. And they'll say, I liked Obama and I wanted to keep that going. Well, you should have showed up in 2016. Because Hillary would have just pushed everything further and further that Obama was doing. So I totally get your 2010 and 2012 and 14 point. But really, we would be in a much better place as a country if we just all showed up in 2016 like we should have. Um, as far as your point about loans, not that I want to get into that issue, but it, it gets into the issue of Democrats are doing things that we're not taking credit for. And Trevor Noah talked about it yesterday, right? Biden already canceled a lot of student loans. And this week he, he committed to working on canceling more, although it's not necessarily going to be what they want, right? So when Biden gets the question and we get the question, oh, well, I wanted to cancel student loans. We're like, oh, oh, he did. He did cancel this amount of loans and he's going to cancel all this amount of loans. By the way, he wants to pass free college, but he can't yet. Don't you want to maybe have your kids go to free college? Do people who don't never graduated college, don't you want to maybe go to college again for free? And when I tell people that, I'm like, the only way that's going to happen is if you continue to show up. Like Biden can't do everything the first day by uh, executive orders, right? So if he cancels this amount of student loans, he promises to cancel this amount, promises to pass free college if he gets the votes for it, right? Which he said, free community college, obviously two years. And so that's all into the same realm of the student loans. He, did he cancel every single student loan in the world? No, I don't think he can, right? But the problem is we could get there eventually if... We would be closer to that if Hillary was president in 2016. And we would be closer to that if Biden wins again in 2024. We have to continue to inch closer to that. We're not going to get it in a big home run swing. Right. Well, and here's the one thing about the student loan issue. And this is many issues on the left, but in this case, we'll talk student loan. But it's the same with environment, it's the same with guns, et cetera. Is, although I think the student loan crisis is the one that's probably the most obvious. Do you realize that a lot of us in social media who are not necessarily enamored with the whole idea of forgiving student loans and everything else, we're not really pushing back on the idea. We're pushing back on a, where it falls into the priorities, the legislative priorities. Most of us, it, look, I don't think, 
I don't like the vote for student, uh, vote, you know, go ahead and repeal my student loans or else. I don't like the demands that you do it. I think sometimes there might be an overstatement of the benefit, but I'm never, ever going to regret anything that's done to help forgive student loans. It's going to, that's going to provide a life raft or life jacket or life preserver to uh, the people who have student loans. We should never do that. However, what I am taking issue with is where it falls into the overall priority, where it falls into the gun to the head of the Democrats and Biden, especially when you are, when many people are portraying it as something that he promised to do and it wasn't something he promised to do, when many people are portraying it as they vote for this or else. Because as Lawrence O'Donnell said, so you're willing to say, because I'm not getting my student loans, let's go ahead. A 6-3 Republican Supreme Court is not good enough. Let's just give them a 7-2 Supreme Court, right? It's, you know, there, there's so much at stake that other than student loans, that if this is your make or break issue, it's a bad issue to be your make or break issue, especially considering we cannot underestimate the number of people who would benefit from student loans, but we also cannot overstate the number of people who are impacted by student loans. And when you think about it, it's still a really relatively small portion of our population. Again, I will never stand in the way of anything that's done to provide relief or even forgive student loans. I will, however, stand in the way of people who are saying, do this or else I'm not voting. That is childish, that's selfish, and that's only and that's what they call biting your nose off to spite your face. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. And I'd even take a step further. The reason here's what I believe. There's a there's a big belief that this is a story because media needs something to criticize Biden for. The reason I think it's a story is because everyone expects the Democrats to lose the House in 2022, and then Biden will never have a chance to cancel student loans. So what they're saying is do it now or nobody's gonna show up. But I would challenge that. And I would say, if you guys feel like there's a clock, how about show up in 2022? And we have another two years to figure out how we can cancel student loans. That's something I would flip to them. It's like, all right, if you're challenging me to cancel it within the next six months, right? Because the election's coming up. How about this? I'll challenge you. Give me another two years to figure it out and I'll try to figure it out. But you got to show up in 2022 and give me the house and the Senate that I need to make it happen. So I would flip it on people. I would challenge them. Like they're challenging Biden and I would challenge them right back. If you want this, cool. I need more time. So show up in 2022, give me time, and I will continue to try to get us where we need to be. So that, that's the message I would go there. Well, and this is going to sound funny. This is going to harken back to the fund of police to a certain extent. But one of the other challenges that I think is problematic with the um, appeal student loans type of thing or forgive student loans, that's a very subjective thing. As you said, He's already done a lot to provide forgiveness and to help people out. Um, the whole issue of 10,000 versus 50,000. Um, realistically, uh, a lot of the stuff short of, a lot of the ideas short of actually repealing all of it is probably doable. But what they want to do is they want to camp out in the area that's the most undoable, the most counterproductive. You know, someone said to me the other day, they said, you know what, if you repeal all student loans, um, what would be the incentive for any lender in the future to ever give student loans, right? Essentially, you know what someone else pointed out to me yesterday? Do you know why you have uh, interest rates on, insurance, on student loans? So that if you and I borrowed student loans today, we paid it back with interest so that our children, our grandchildren would then have uh, monies available or funds available for student loans you know, it's preserving it for the future. If you go ahead and you forgive all student loans and just, you know, don't collect, um, the reality is, is that 10, 15 years from now, when there's students needing student loans, there'll be no money to give them. So um, I say it all to say that we are, people are so passionate and motivated and animated on this issue, but do they understand the implications? And again, I think that anything we can do will be good, but we have to do stuff that also doesn't kill it, that, that, that makes it available. 
and it's 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 not just oh you're getting forgiven. It's really got it's 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 a big deal, and we need to be very smart with how we approach it. Both what we how we approach it from a policy standpoint, and how we approach it from a um, messaging standpoint. And that messaging includes uh, how we really truly manage the expectations, because I do think that that's going to be problematic. Is what the people's true expectations are. Yeah. Again, uh, for me personally, I I didn't take out loans. I had a scholarship, and then I I had some government funding, obviously that which uh, grants and stuff like that, which might be considered loans on some level. I never had to pay anything back, but so I don't necessarily have a, a dog in this fight. There is people who have hundreds of thousands of dollars in debt, so I I understand their plight. My my point to them would be. You're asking, you're going to punish Biden for something that you did 15 years ago that has nothing to do with him. Biden is making promises to cancel other people's student loans that might not apply to you. He's making promises to give two free years of of community college to future students. And he's also making promises to look at the fact that colleges are so expensive now, give out scholarships, maybe talk to colleges, lower prices, grants, all this other thing that he's been promising. So you're really going to, like you said, bite your nose off to spite your face. You're really going to ruin future generations by not voting for him or 2022 um, because you just you want help with your debt. Now, I understand you want help with your debt, but he's the real problem here isn't your debt specifically. The real problem here is college costs too much. There's not enough to go around. People are saddled with debt because they want to get an education. And the real solution here is future generations and try to fix it for future generations to come, as opposed to trying to backtrack and fix it for the past. John, I grew up in Chicago where you would go to IHOP and people would be able to smoke indoors. And there was legislation passed that there was no smoking indoors and to help the future generations, they couldn't backtrack it and be like, now we have to pay settlements for everybody who dealt with that for the last 50 years. I understand that you're going to, your life is some, some way affected for the next 30, 20 years based on these student loans. But voting is about the future and voting is about continuing to better the country in, 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 in a positive way. And that's the, what we have to look forward to. Plus, to be super pessimistic, the whole country and the world is going down with climate change. So your student loans might not matter anyways. <laughs> yeah, it, it, it's crazy. Uh, one of the things that happened this week um, is our MVP, Vice President Harris, was diagnosed. Uh, with COVID. Hopefully it's a mild COVID. Um, And she took a, uh, I think the Pfizer medication and political wanted to know why. First of all, they called her Kamala instead of Vice President Harris, Um, which we all do. We call her Kamala, but there's a difference between how you and I talk maybe, you know, over on on Twitter versus when we read a headline. But I say it all to say, um, Political got a lot of the heat for it. And I, I have, there's two or three issues. And one of the things, what, what way I broke it down is uh, people are taking issue with one, the story, and two, that in the headline, they refer to instead of Vice President Harris. In the, in the headline, I'm talking. Instead of referring to her as Vice President Harris, they refer to her as Kamala. Now, I see two things happening here. Uh, and they wanted to imply, is she sicker than anything? Or why is she getting this treatment that we all can't get or what have you? The... Fascinating thing to me is that they called her Kamala, because when you call her Kamala in that particular headline, in that particular tweet, you rob her of her title. And when you rob her of her title, then you also rob her of any kind of justification for there to be extraordinary precautions taken to make sure she doesn't get sick or sicker, right? And that's strictly because she is first in the line of succession. She's the vice president of the United States. And whatever medical treatment that you would give to Vice President Harris, you would, you're doing it because she is very well, might have to step in at any time to be the president of the United States. But when you call her Kamala, you make her into just an average Joe, an average person. And by doing that, then you got someone saying, well, you know, when I got sick, I didn't get this medication. I don't want to get classes and tell people you ain't all that important, but when you do not call her Vice President Harris in that headline, you rob her and you rob yourselves of all of the justifications as to why she was deserving and needed to take 
the medication. What was your take last week when you, when you heard that story? So uh, the only thing I'll say about that is I, I, I agree with what you're saying in the sense that um, there's just precautions taken with certain people that you just have to live with. I, I will say it reminded me of when Biden was getting flack for flying when he was the CDC was recommending not to fly. Jen Psaki was like, well, he's a president. And he has Air Force One. So it's not like he's waiting at the gate. Right. So the, part of it came off like, well, he's elitist. But part of it is like, this is the president. And he has Air Force One. And that's something we just have to live with. But I'm going to ignore everything. So I, I, your two points is what the points that everybody was making is, is the headline. And then also, why does she have access to this? Well, I'm going to push back on that second part. And here's what I'll say. Nobody's talking about this. For a country that is um, had vaccine hesitancy, for a country that has hesitancy to COVID uh, medications, even people who are fully vaccinated were hesitant, right? Even I, under the Trump administration, was like, I don't know, right? There's a big part of this country that's super hesitant towards these. Here's Pfizer, who is part of these conspiracy theories from the right about Bill Gates and Pfizer pandemic and all this other stuff. Here's Pfizer with a what they call a miracle drug, which is ninety to ninety five percent effective from a serious case from uh, uh, preventing a serious case of COVID and death from COVID. Right? If you get COVID, this pill, by the way, is called Paxlovid. It's designed that if you get COVID and get diagnosed and get tested, the nurse or the person at the counter can hand you Paxlovid. And then 99, 90 to 95% prevents you from a hospital or, or se- severe disease or death. Here's a pill that they're calling a miracle drug. Um, historic drug that they've been able to make over the past two years that people might be hesitant to take. And when you get the vice president of the United States to say, yeah, sign me up. Sure. This is safe. This is effective. That's worth much more than her just getting it and have access to it. Right. You need public, we talked about it with vaccines and LeBron and the NBA and people who should step up and say, this is safe, this is effective, give it to me. We see with Kyrie Irving pushing back on vaccines. There's a lot of pushback on this. And for the vice president of the United States, the second most powerful person in the world to say, give it to me, sign me up, I'm cool, let's do it. That should be that should be applauded. It shouldn't be criticized, right? The second part of this, I just listened to a podcast with the CEO of Pfizer and all the medical professionals are saying, we didn't have a lot of Paxlovid, but now we do. My sister's a farm tech, a CVS. I texted her, do you guys have this? She said, it's coming this week. Paxlovid, within the next two to three weeks, two to three months, will be everywhere. and It'll be much more available. So for, for them to say, well, nobody has access to this, is just straight up bad reporting and misinformation. A lot of people have access to this, and you should uh, tell people. You should be in your articles that, look, the president's, the vice president's getting this miracle drug. Everyone's going to have access to it soon. That should be the story. So I, I don't see that part of the narrative that this is safe and effective and her taking it is good is good for the country because it tells people that this is safe and effective. Yeah, yeah. And and the thing is, by the end of this week, she'll probably be on some type of uh, public schedule again. She'll be out and about living her best vice presidential life to a certain extent. Uh, but it. You know, it goes back to something, and it's not in show prep, but I think I'm going to try to, we have to figure out a way to talk about this each week. It goes back to the way that when people complain about Democratic messaging, the way that people talk about Vice President Harris or talk about Joe Biden, um, we need to realize that the media is not our friends. Now, again, I was going to sound like a broken record because I don't want to ever, ever, ever become that Trump anti-media, you know, boo, you know, and, and, and harass members of the press. But I think we have a situation right now where people will say, what's wrong with democratic messaging? Well, when the vice president of the United States catches COVID and you disrespect her like that, and then you question whether or not she should even be taking, taking things, that's indicative of the way that the press treats us, whether it's messaging or what have you. Uh, this past weekend on MSNBC, Tiffany Cross has on a panel and they just go ahead and they dissect and they criticize democratic messaging. Roland Martin was one of the people doing it. In the next segment, they have Jamie Harrison, the chairman of the Democratic Party of the United States. 
he's on and she is grilling him about messaging. And then in the next segment, they bring Roland Martin and Fernand Amandi back to talk about and dissect and criticize Jamie's performance. Now, I don't watch Fox News. I do not watch Fox News. But do you think Fox News spends as much time dissecting and criticizing Republican messaging the way that people on the left and the people in the middle, the the media, the 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 issue of democratic messaging is something that now is something that people need to talk about. Fadi, if Joe Biden came out tomorrow with a winning slogan, we should all be like, that's a great slogan and run out and kick ass. The minute he comes out with a winning slogan, there's going to be panel discussions, Twitter threads talking about if that slogan really a winning slogan, is it really speak to that person or that person? If the Republicans came out with a shitty slogan tomorrow, the Republicans would all go running with it and fighting with it, and no one would dissect whether or not it's good. And it's it, it relates to basically what Kamala had to deal with, or I should say Vice President Harris had to deal with this week, because it just goes to show that there are different rules for Republicans and different rules for Democrats. Yeah, I mean, we talked about this so much. Your point about the, the logo thing is interesting because it's not even about a shitty logo from the Republicans. Trump embraced the fact that JFK might be alive, JFK Jr. might be alive, and he's going to come back and reinstate Trump as the president three years after Trump was, was removed. That's that's what they're believing in. And all the Republicans are like, is this true? Can this be possible? Tucker is like, why not? Why isn't this possible? Do we Have we seen the JFK Jr. body, right? It's not about a logo or anything. Here we are talking about democratic messaging. And the Republican Party is a full fringe conspiracy theory. And nobody talks about that. So I, I couldn't agree with you more. Again, I don't know how to fix it. I don't know if Tiffany Cross is the reason or the virus or the symptoms or whatever. But... I understand. And maybe we write the Republicans off so much that it's not even worth talking about. Like we just put them in the closet with that crazy uncle who says crazy things. But the fact is people are voting for them and we should spend time continuing to talk about it. People criticize MSNBC. Trevor Noah made a joke yesterday that they spent two years after Trump was removed still talking about Trump. I agree with that. I agree with that. Like you have a whole hour block. MSNBC is basically 24 hours worth of news coverage. You can dedicate time talking about how crazy he is and how crazy the Republican Party is. So uh, we have to continue to push back. I, I'm, I'm, I used to be that person. Like we, we can get better at democratic messaging, of course. But I think part of our messaging is look how crazy our opponents are. Please do not vote for them. I'll give you a, and this is going to sound weird because I don't want to seem defensive. I think part of our messaging should also be the Democrats say to say this, so we're saying it. We're not going to sit there and figure out. We don't want to be, we do not want to, and this is going to be one of our sports analogies. It'll be a sports media analogy. You and I don't want to be the guys calling into the score 10 minutes after the Bears won a game, but we were not happy with the way the one particular offensive lineman or a defensive back or the fact that the, the long snapper is not getting the ball back as fast as possible. That's what football, that's what your sports talk radio people do. Guys who have never played the freaking game at a professional level are calling in to some blowhard on sports talk radio, second guessing everything that NFL professionals, coaches, and people who get paid a lot of money do and they're successful at. And they're questioning their every step. That's what the Democratic base or a significant portion of the Democratic base has become. They're sitting there. They immediately think, okay, Joe Biden just won an election or this just happened. Let's go to Chuck, Shaq, Kenny, and, and the TNT crew and just break down everything. We got to stop covering politics like it's sports. I love my Chuck. I love my Shaq. I love Kenny. I love Ernie. But... This is real life, and we're treating all this stuff like a sports talk radio or a or, or Super Bowl pregame or the TNT NBA playoff coverage. we got to stop covering the, the politics and our government like that. Ooh, this is interesting because I, I want to disagree, and here's why. People are watching 
Shaq, Chuck, Keddy, and Ernie. They're not necessarily watching Zach Lowe on the ESPN podcast. It's <laughs> not basketball in a healthy way, right? And I, the reason I say that is, I by, by the way, John, I want a little bit of credit. I brought up a few weeks ago that they should have a professional fact checker that follows Biden. There's a big push now for a ministry of truth or whatever, whatever the Democrats want to do. And this is what I think we should lean into and not run away from. If there was a show on MSNBC that was just called Fact Check, maybe Jen Psaki's new show, and it was her and Daniel Dale, and they were just like, here's everything the Republicans said, and look how wrong it is. And here's everything that Biden said, and he was 95% accurate, right? I think that's beneficial for us. So instead of trying to run away from the Shaq, Kenny bottle, I, I would probably lean into it and say, hey, you think Democrats are bad? The, the Republican frontrunner thinks JFK Jr. is coming back from the dead. And I would just frame it that way. There's a part of the, I'll, I'll lean into your sports analogy. Kobe one time was in this in on the bench uh, during a game and a fan was talking stuff to him and all Kobe did was And he was pointing to his hand and saying, I got five of these. You could talk all you want. I got five of these. And so part of the, the discussion should be, Biden should be up there and be like, oh, cool. You 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 think this policy is bad. 95% of the country supports it. So what do you, when everybody was railing him against Afghanistan, although it could have been better, Jen Psaki said 95% of the country wants us to leave. What do you want us to do? 95% of the country wants us this way we're going to lean into that. And part of that is just a pushback to say the country wants this shut up. And that's the story. That's it. But going to your Kobe analogy, and this go, this is infuriating to me. Would you agree that one of the popular narratives uh, out there is that Democrats are losers, right? Can you tell me how many times since 2000, the Republicans have won the popular vote in presidential elections? Uh, I guess Bush's second term. Yeah. Once. Once. Do you realize that when it comes to the number of people who vote for for Congress, that even though the Republicans have more seats, the Democrats have always had more people. If you took all the members, the Democratic members of Congress and all the Republican members of Congress and just took and, and took all of their votes and add them up, there'd be more Democratic votes than Republican votes. Granted, you got to win the game that you play. So that's one thing. You've got to win the game that you play. But when you look at the overall number of people in this country who Democratic messaging resonates with, the fact that we're that we're behind the ball, that we're not that we suck, we're not good at. That's bad. Again, now to sports. The good news is about some of this, and maybe you can justify the criticism. Is you and I both know. Bill Belichick will be up by 30 points. And if somebody drops a ball, he's in their butt, even though that the game is out of touch. So, you know, I would not mind our strategists being more like and our, our, our party leaders being more like those coaches who have a blowout victory, but they're still coaching until the last minute. But I just wish our I wish our activists, our base would be just would be less like sports radio talk uh, or callers who second-guess everything. I think that's there's got to be a happy medium between the two is what I'm saying. Yeah, I and I think here's, <clears throat> now that you bring that up, I, I was remembering, here's the Kobe moment I was just talking about. Here's the equivalent in politics. Do you remember Barack's last State of the Union? When part of his speech, you'll remember this, he said, I have no more elections to, to run. And all the Republicans stood up and started clapping because they were sick of him. And then Obama waited for the claps to die down. He's like, because I won every single one of them. Like, I kicked your ass twice. That That's the rebuttal there is you, you can clap, but I killed you guys twice. Like, mm -hmm. I beat you guys up twice. And you guys can't do anything about it. That's that's the thing here, right? When, when Trump says, uh, oh, I have millions of people in my rallies, all Biden has to say is, I have seven more million people in the popular world. Like, I destroyed you. That stuff's gonna get play. Like I totally understand your sports talk radio. I, it's not ideal. Like I, I much. This is a much more nuanced conversation. But my point is, um, that's the game that the that that we have to play. I think on some level. So I, I much rather fight fire with fire in that sense. So I, I'm good with that kind of messaging. So so this weekend, uh, Trevor Noah was the host 
of the White House Correspondents' Dinner, and both uh, Trevor Noah and President Biden basically held their own. Uh, what were, for you, what were some of the highlights of the White House Correspondents' Dinner this weekend? Um, a, a few things. Let's put COVID aside because obviously that was everybody being joked about it, but we'll put that aside for now. But I, I liked seeing Biden take shots at himself and then take shots at other people, which is customary, right? Like oh, oh, Barack famously did it where he would talk about kind of Fox News and everybody and then he'd kind of go into himself, right? I, I thought the highlight of the night was probably the Fox News joke about vaccines and everything saying, hey, Fox News tells you not to get vaccinated, but they're all in this room and you have to prove to get vaccinated and boosted. It's almost like it's almost like a trickery, right? Where you're saying, hey, definitely come out here. Definitely come onto this party. Fox News is welcome. And then making fun of them in the moment. And then Trevor Noah, I thought, was uh, pointed at the end. I thought I, I thought he wasn't as much of a digger, if you will, than maybe Seth Meyers was. But I think... I think he took enough shots that 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 landed where it felt good, and he's all he was also more uh, nuanced than maybe Seth Meyers was towards the end there, saying, "Hey, you guys have a responsibility here. Please don't take it lightly." So I I, I like the the the, the juicy jo- the cut to when Biden made that joke, and uh, I wish Trump probably was made fun of. I wish the conspiracy theories was was made fun of more, but that's just my personal taste. Well, the RNC is upset that. Uh that Biden referred to Trump as the plague. They're in their feelings about that. They're upset about that. Um, so I thought that was good. And I also enjoyed Trevor's uh, joke about Chuck Todd and, and, uh, and follow-ups. So, you know, it, it, it was good. It was good to have that back. Um, they do call it nerd prom. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's a little bit of return to normalcy. One, because we don't have an idiotic president. And two, because, you know, people are coming out with COVID. Now, the fascinating thing to see will be to find out whether or not uh, 24 hours, 36 hours, 72 hours after people are still walking around healthy. That's going to that that's 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 going to be the big, big question as to whether or not people are able to do it. I went to see a Broadway show yesterday and it was even though uh, we're where we are right now. They insisted on your vaccination status, and they insisted you wear a mask in the, in the theater. So, I which I didn't mind. I didn't, and it's so funny because, um, you know, I've talked about this. I definitely am for people being a little bit more looser, but I also think that there's just so much. There's so many different things that we can do to, to 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 keep things from spreading. You know, on the I flew here and on the plane, I I wore my mask from the moment I got to the airport to the moment I basically got to the hotel room. Um, in in New York, I've probably not been wearing my mask a lot, except when required. But I think too, I think there's a little bit of um, people have to be very mindful that um, even if you're not really rigid with your mask wearing. If you wear your mask, say, um, just half the time or a quarter of the time, those are X amount of t- opportunities where things can be transmitted that they're not. You're still reducing. You know what I'm saying? It'd be great. We don't have to wear a mask 24-7. But I wonder just that, I, and of course, I'll find out in a couple of days You know how I'm, how I'm feeling. But um, I wonder if just, even if we're not really rigid from top to bottom, just taking the time and being mindful enough to wear your mask in certain situations and reducing the number of people that you come in contact with unmasked actually benefits us. Yeah, but I, I will also say this as far as that, John, is to your point about uh, Vice President getting access to certain things. The White House Correspondence Dinner is not the same as you going to Applebee's in the sense that they literally had to prove they were vaccinated and boosted. I believe uh, a lot of them were tested. At least if you came into contact with Biden, you were probably tested. If you were on that stage with him, you were probably tested uh, that day, right? So uh, there was a little bit of rigidness to it. Was it smart to have all those people in the room? You know, I'm more conservative with COVID uh, than most, so uh, I might not be a judge of that. But I will say for anybody who's trying to make steps, there's steps you can take. Wear a mask. Wear a proper mask. Um, there, I, I bought a. This is John. I'll, I'll tell you. I haven't told you this, right? There's an air purifier, HEPA air purifier, the size of a cucumber. 
that you could take with you, take it on the plane, take it in the airport, put it in your hotel room. You could take it to Applebee's and have it around. Like it, it's about airflow and it's about filtration and trying to get things moving. So um, there's steps you could take to help kind of prevent it as you kind of go out into the world. So maybe, maybe I'll, I'll send you a picture later, but maybe something you could look into. All right. On that note, it's coming on the hour. So for now, this is Dan signing off. This is Fadi signing off. Thanks for joining us. Thanks.